Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome related to technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. So do you know your stuff when it comes to personal finance and all things personal finance related? And this is going to be a fun one because <laughs> we have our opinions. Josh has some strong opinions and rightfully so being a financial, a personal finance professor, or sorry, that being one of the classes that you teach yeah. for 10 or so years. So the personal finance, the actual like official, I've taught that class has been about 10 years and I've taught personal finance topics in college courses for 20. Yeah. Okay. We do want to be specific here. Because I that's just want to be honest with people. So I don't want to say 20 and mislead people. So <laughs> I appreciate that. So, you know, this is a topic that is close to us and I think it is really important for, and we'll get into it, but to make sure that clients and consumers aren't harmed in us being financial coaches. So let's start. Josh, where do you want to dive in? So I, I think I want to dive in with a what may feel like an aggressive part. It may feel like I am coming down hard on people. and But I think it's important to start off here because it not only is important that people hear, but it's also important because it's going to frame a lot of the rest of the conversation. Right. And that is financial anything, financial coaching included. It is very important that you don't walk into it from the perspective of, oh, I can figure out the technical knowledge as I go, right? Just start getting clients and I'll figure it out. Because unlike helping someone's kid with their math homework, unlike being a volunteer coach at your kid's soccer game. The consequences with finances are very real in people's lives. And this, by the way, is not an attack on financial coaching. This is an attack on the financial services industry in general. Licensed financial advisors, insurance companies and agents, this is a fundamental problem that I see across the industry. So this is not financial coaches. This is just period. There is not enough of an understanding of the awesome responsibility that if you are going to help someone with their finances that you have, because you can screw someone's life up. You can leave their assets open to lawsuit and they can lose their home. You can cause them not to have enough money in retirement. You can cause their children not to be able to afford to go to college. You can cause people to be in a situation where 
they don't have assets to pass down to children. And building on the conversation that you had on Tuesday with the idea of how financial wealth and disparity is exacerbated by the lack of ability to pass down assets, you can cause generational damage to people. And so I, I cannot understand enough how we have to take this responsibility seriously, that we can actually screw people's lives up in pretty significant ways. And again, this is not about financial coaches, you're bad because you're not licensed. I see this problem across the industry with licensed insurance agents, with registered investment advisors, with stockbrokers. Yeah, I remember that story you told of your student going in to like an Edward Jones type for a presentation. And then at the end of it, kind of being told that they could become a sales rep to, or become a financial advisor as well, just watching some videos. Yeah. It wasn't Edward Jones, although that uh, does happen Ed, there too. Edward Jones like, uh, sorry, I couldn't yes, remember. Yes, it, it was Primerica, I want to say. No, World Financial Group, all the same people. But yeah, it was literally a student came to me and said, hey, I'm a little worried about this because I went in to get financial advice from someone. And at the end of it, they said, hey, if you want a job, we're hiring people right now. And all you need to do is watch this 30 minute video and take this test and you can be out advising people. And the student said, that scared the crap out of me because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Good student. Good yeah. Student. And so, yeah, when we talk about technical knowledge, it's very important that you kind of embrace imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and realize that your imposter syndrome may be there because you're just starting to realize how much you don't know. And that's a good thing. And if you don't have imposter syndrome or you don't feel it strongly enough, that is a sign of concern that you may be setting yourself up to harm people. And a way to mitigate this, and we can dive into this later in the conversation, mm -hmm. but we talk about it a lot is staying in your lane yep. as well. So knowing what you can and can't say or what you know and don't know enough of yep. so that you don't give recommendations, advice, or even just, you know, educate people in a way that has blind spots so that mm -hmm. if you say, okay, you do X, that's a great idea, but you don't understand how that input, you know, that will implicate their tax plan, like the tax plan that they have or their mm -hmm. estate plan or anything like that. So it's not just as simple as, hey, I'm focusing on this, what seems to be a small scope in the moment but that can have much larger impacts as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it is very complex. The financial porn media has not, not by the way, my terminology, Carl Richards coined that, but I love it, but they have taken concepts that are very complex, simplified them and made them and presented them as though they were that simple. Right. And that, and that's not, by the way, a, a knock on Kiplinger and all of those, all media does this, right? There was a, a big media storm about six months ago about how new research suggests that dark energy is not real, right? And the universe is not expanding faster than accelerating. And it is a complete misrepresentation of all of the data. What it really says is that there, it is not a five sigma statistical 
certainty, <laughs> right? Yeah. See, I'm falling asleep already. And that's why the media doesn't cover this stuff because the complexities of it are boring. <laughs> or even, I, I think you brought this up at one point, the statistic that 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's kind of been the way I even understood it was, oh, you know, I just assumed marriages, first marriages, but that that's really skewed by those who have been divorced before or on second yeah. marriages and beyond. So even just things that are kind of made to sound as good sound bites can obscure by not including the information. Yeah. What is really going on? Yeah. And so, and this is where, you know, how do we, so how do you deal with this, right? How do you deal with the fact that by definition, you don't know enough, right? By the way, when I say you, I'm looking at myself right now as well, right? Yeah. I know a lot about taxes. I am that person that when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came out, I read the entire thing. He told right? me, I was like, you are weird. <laughs> yeah. I still have a CPA for myself and I still advise clients to have CPAs and will consult with the client CPAs because I know that I don't know anywhere near enough about taxes to know that I'm comfortable dealing with it all on my own. Right. And so it's very important that we embrace the fact that we don't know everything, that the more confident we are about something, the less likely we are to truly understand it. Maybe not get into this now, but I am mm -hmm. curious as to your perspective on providing, there was actually an article that came out in Michael Kitsis's blog mm -hmm. about Dave Ramsey and whether Dave yes. is I commented on a thread on that. Yes. <laughs> and this idea that, you know, if you, as a coach, right, if we limit the scope mm -hmm. of what we're doing, if we kind of help people with the basics, even if we don't get everything hundred percent right is helping them get started and helping them like gain momentum and getting yeah. the ball rolling. <laughs> I already see your hackles going up, right? Because that's definitely a perspective. Mm -hmm. and you know is isn't good better than nothing at all yeah and so whether you want to tackle that now or pin that i, I think that that's an important conversation to have because it's 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 happening let's pin it to the end because i don't want to go down a rabbit hole and i can definitely go down a rabbit hole on it and i'm sure that the two of us will support each other in going down that rabbit hole so let's pin that to the end perfect because yeah. let's start with how do you actually battle imposter syndrome and the reality is it's not hard to do. How do we battle the fact that we don't know enough and that that side of imposter syndrome where our confidence drops because we realize we don't know enough or our confidence is really high because we don't know enough to even know that we don't know very much. Right. Yep. Mount and, stupid. Huh? Mount stupid. Yeah. Mount stupid. Exactly. And so how do we battle that? And the great news is we don't have to create anything new, right? Battling this has been the arc of human history, <laughs> right? Literally. Yeah. And so one of the things that we can look at is the academy, mm -hmm. right? Going back to ancient Greek roots, right? the academy is there. And when I say the academy, we're talking about the institutions of learning within a society, right? That's what the academy refers to. Clarification. And so look at college courses, 
right? If you want to help people with finances, go and take some courses on financial planning. Go and look at different extension courses, enroll in a bachelor's or a master's program, and get education. You can do everything to a master's program. Hell, you can get a PhD in it if you want. But even just taking a few select courses at a community college or at a local university extension program can be very helpful in at least pointing out some of the potential blind spots. Yeah. I was and, say, and go, when I did the, the self-study, well, actually, technically, mm-hmm. it was distance learning for the AFC, yeah. accredited financial counselor program. I just did mine through Texas Tech to college courses around that. And so, yeah, distance learning, especially in the age of the internet, is very, it's a lot more accessible. Yeah. And go into it looking for what you don't know, not looking to confirm what you think you know. Good point. That's right. a very good point. Yeah. But the academy isn't the only place. You've mentioned another one, which is there are certifying bodies. And those certifying bodies exist because they provide assurance to the public that at least there is a base level of understanding that exists within the person. So look at getting the AFC. Look at getting the CFP. All professions have this. Right? CPAs have this. You, you know, lawyers have this, so on and so forth. When you look at certifications, don't look at certifications to throw letters after your name because there are a lot of crap certifications. In fact, there are over 400 certifications on the SEC's website for certifications related to finance. So just because it's on the SEC's website does not mean that they're worthwhile because some of them are literally watch this two hours of video. Take this 50-question exam, get more than 70% on it. Some of them are get more than 60% on it, and you will have the certification. And I will tell you right now, halfway through the semester, a third of the way through the semester, my students in my intro personal finance class already have more education and more testing (laughs) than people with that certification. There's one of them, I think it's the master's, a master in, a master of financial planning, I think is the certification okay. or a master of financial something. And the certification is literally, here are the requirements. Have a bachelor's degree. Notice I didn't say what field, have a bachelor's degree and pay us $1,000 a year. Those are the two requirements for the certification. Josh is getting heated. Josh, I just... And so, but certifications are really valuable because it shows that you actually have taken the time and it forces you to take the time to understand things. So we've got the academy, we've got certifications, professional certifications. And then again, look at what other people, what other professions do, continuing education. The AFC requires it, the CFP requires it, being a CPA, a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, right? All professions, psychologists, they all require continuing education. And look to continuing education for continuing to expand your knowledge. The, as we look at this idea of continuing education, this does come in many forms. 
But it's very important that you look at continuing education from the standpoint of actually wanting to improve yourself, not checking a box. Yeah, Because unfortunately, far too often, that's the case. In fact, it is so much the case that attorneys for their CE, they are required to, they've got a code in the middle of the CE where they have to type in the number. And I know for a fact, many attorneys, because I have a lot of people that I know that are attorneys, including your wife, including my wife, and in conversations with with them, you know, at dinner parties and things. Yeah, they'll talk about the continuing education. Yeah, you know, I'll just have it on in the background. And when I when I say, oh, there was the number, I'll, I'll write down the number. And that's not what continuing education is for. Yeah. It's there to protect your clients. It's there to protect you from liability. And it's there to for you to actually learn from and expand. Now, I will say there's a lot of BS continuing education out there that I do not like for myself personally. Uh, but I generally will spend anywhere between 60 hours a year on the low end to as much as 20 hours a week on the high end doing continuing education. That's why this man never sleeps. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Well, uh, when I did the 20 hours a week, that's because I had commute and I did all of my continuing. I did nothing but continuing education on the commute. And then I did additional continuing education that I couldn't do while driving. And I think what you brought up is an important point where at the end of the day, it's about doing no harm and making sure that this is in the best interest of the clients. And so I know that imposter syndrome is a particularly like in the you know, traditional sphere, it's this feeling that I don't know enough. And I know we have like the academic definition and the more popular media definition, but I feel like imposter syndrome more centers us as the coach, where it is important to not forget that this is all in service of the client Mm -hmm. and making sure that we don't ultimately harm them. And so learning about topics that we may not be interested in or things that on the surface don't seem to excite us, they may as we dive deeper in, yeah. but also who is this for? Mm-hmm. It is for you, but it's not for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important to remember um, when you don't want to necessarily take some CE or do this. Yeah. CE. And battling imposter syndrome is not getting rid of imposter syndrome. It's embracing okay. it. Right. It's getting comfortable with the fact that imposter syndrome actually means two things. Number one, it means that you are aware of your limitations, right? And number two, that you care about the impact that those limitations can have on others. And so when you have imposter syndrome around technical knowledge, don't think of this as, oh, I'm not a good coach, or I'm not ready to coach, or I'm a person that is, I've got to get rid of this imposter syndrome before I can start working with people, right? It's actually something to embrace and it's something to become acutely aware of where if your imposter syndrome spider sense starts to tingle a little bit, take a deep breath and tell the client, you know, I need to look into this a little bit more. I've got some ideas, but I'm not sure I can share them yet because I want to make sure there aren't things that I'm not thinking of now that could harm you. And 
one of the best responses you can give to the company. By the way, clients really appreciate that. <laughs> they do. And one of the best responses you can give afterwards is, yeah, I've thought about it more. I looked into it a little bit more. And that little tingle that I had was, you need to talk to your CPA about this. And again, clients really love that because it means that you're helping them identify when they need to go somewhere else and get that deeper level of knowledge from someone who has a different set of expertise than you. So do you think now's the time to go back to the Dave Ramsey conversation? Sure, we can definitely do that. All right, we'll give ourselves a time limit so we don't go too far down the rabbit hole. We'll check in in five, but that idea, right? Where coaches mm -hmm. can focus on very, financial coaches can focus on a couple very basic things. Mm -hmm. Putting the, okay, what's your net wealth? What is your cash flow statement, putting together a budget and a spending plan, paying credit card debt or high interest yeah. debt, right? These very foundational things and also hopefully focusing on some emotional behavioral aspects, habits, what harm can be done yeah. in that. So let's tackle that. So let's start off with my perspective on Dave Ramsey, because I think this is important. And that is, my opinion is Dave Ramsey is brilliant absolutely brilliant when it comes to budgeting. Like is he is amazing at getting Now, I have some philosophical problems with some of the things he says related to it. One of the big ones is the idea of live like a pauper so you can live like a king later. And there's there's issues with that in, including that you don't always have the same life, right? You can't do that because you can't live like a king in your 90s because you're not going to be traveling. You've got issues of that is relying on tomorrow which yeah. from a biblical perspective, and I'm bringing the biblical because that's where he brings a perspective in, that's problematic, right? Yeah. But and also shame really, just isn't a best motivator, I don't yeah. think. And sometimes that comes through, but from a budgeting yeah. perspective- but From I a budgeting agree. perspective, he's brilliant. And he, he, his budgeting system, it, it's not his, it actually predates him, but he has done an amazing job at customizing it, at communicating it to people, at helping people to make, to see how it can be real in their lives. Right. And, and so I don't want to take away. He is brilliant when it comes to budgeting. When it comes to debt, he is not optimal. And I choose this word very, very carefully. It's not that he's bad. In fact, most people would benefit a lot from following his philosophy rather than the philosophy they're currently following. It is a simplistic, non-optimal philosophy, but you're not, with the exception of a few problematic areas, you're not going to harm yourself by following his philosophy. As we go into more complex things, there are real problems with it. And investing, there it's dangerous, some of the things he says, and, and it's also just factually wrong, certain things he says. All of that being said, so I'm not against Dave Ramsey. And my hackles were up from that, not because of Dave Ramsey, but because of some of the comments that were being made in this group of financial advisors. The argument in the article, one big part of it is the idea that Dave Ramsey tells benevolent lies, mm -hmm. right? The benevolent lie of you can get 14% in the market over the long term. And that motivates people to actually do the right thing. And there was a lot of defense of that idea. And it bothered me to a great degree because 
that same argument could be made by someone who's saying, well, you would benefit by investing in the stock market, wouldn't you, Garrett? So I'm going to give you the benevolent lie of if you invest with me, you cannot lose money. I will guarantee you that you will make a profit, which is so problematic, it is illegal. <laughs> yeah. Right? But Nothing would get me in trouble more than the word guarantee. In fact, my email monitoring service, the word guarantee, if, an e if that word shows up in any of my emails, a big red flag shows up. <laughs> but that's on the investing front, right? So that's something that is more on the investing side, right? Which right. coaches could fall into, but if we keep doing our job and we keep talking about how coaches shouldn't be giving investment advice, hopefully that, that becomes less of an issue, potentially. Right. So let's, let's take that benevolent lie and apply it to non-investing in something that's coaching specific, right? Cool. If you do these things, you will be debt-free, right? Well, you can't make that promise. And while, yes, them paying off their debt would theoretically put them to a better position than not, the fact of the matter is you still lied to the client. And that in and of itself is problematic because Bernie Madoff didn't become Bernie Madoff by wanting to be an evil person. In fact, Bernie Madoff was originally the white knight of Wall Street. There was a big scandal. He was one of the key people blowing the whistle on the scandal and was one of the few people in the industry that was squeaky clean related to it. Yeah. Bernie Madoff, and there is a great, there's a great documentary about him actually interviewing him from prison through phone conversations in these little chunks. And when you actually understand the story of what happened, it highlights this problem of beneficial lies which is Bernie Madoff, and there's a whole bunch of backstory as well that we won't go into, but he had these few key clients and these key clients were extraordinarily demanding to the point where there are these complex investment strategies where it's a three-pronged strategy and the, it's designed where one of the three prongs will lose money, but the other two prongs make money. And as a result, overall, you make money, but we know for a fact that one of them is going to lose money because part of the strategy is that one will lose money, right? Okay. In order to make it work. We don't know which one, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And so he would do these very complex strategies, not appropriate for the average person. These were high net worth people that could afford the risk associated with them. And exactly as it was hopefully intended, two made money, the third lost money. And he would go to them and say, hey, Congratulations, we did it. Two made money, one lost money. We did exactly what we wanted to do. And here's your winnings. And they would say, no, the third one didn't lose money. No, 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 it did. Here, here's the numbers. Here's the thing. Here's everything else. And they put unrealistic pressure on him. And because of a whole bunch of psychological reasons about not wanting to, there's a whole backstory about why he did this that is like, very compelling and understandable. But because of that, he decided, okay, well, I'm going to take money out of my pocket. And 
solve this problem. I'm going to lower my profit. I'm going to harm myself to deal with this. And then changed the documents to show, oh, no, you actually made money on all three. And you would think, well, that seems like a benevolent lie. It's not harming anyone else, right? Problem is it opens a door. And what you see in this documentary is the door just gets opened a little bit more each time until it gets to a point where it's just completely out of control. And you can hear as he tells this story that he's realizing it's out of control, but has no way of fixing it because he has created such a huge monster for himself, right? There's the problem. The problem isn't the idea of, oh, well, it's a beneficial lie. The problem is it makes it easier to do worse and worse things. And that's how you end up being one of the worst examples of complete corruption, complete, how could anyone do this, lack of moral anything in modern history. So I guess I'm... By the way, I'm not, sure. I'm not excusing Bernie Madoff and his actions, right? Right. But yeah. I guess for, from a financial coaching standpoint, and maybe this is because I don't know Dave Ramsey's philosophy that much. Well, mm -hmm. I guess he does say like all debt is bad. Right. Uh, but like, I guess I'm not quite sure how the, like how we get from a financial coach to Bernie Madoff, right? Like what are these small lies that people could tell? Like, how yeah. do you start even opening that door? Because for me, I'm like, I, I don't see how that door gets opened. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure that other coaches see how that door gets opened. And so figuring out like how, how do these blind spots that they have, mm -hmm. you know, I maybe won't say like lead to Bernie Madoff. Right. right. We aren't managing assets, but like how I, I don't quite get the link yet. So I think that what it comes down to is we have to realize that we are in a position of trust with clients. And an example might be you might have a coaching client and that coaching client has a, a young child. And that young child is not young, they're 18 or 19 years old. And this coaching client is in their 50s, maybe 60s. And the coaching client says, hey, would you mind? I'd like to pay for a little gift for my child to help them get started off correctly with their finances. Wonderful. No problem. And so you coach with that person a little bit. And it's not going to be a good example from Dave Ramsey. So we're just putting him off to the side, right? But during those examples, because, well, you want to make things relatable and who better to relate to than their own parent, you mention things that about stuff you've talked about with their parent about. And it's benign, innocuous stuff. And yet, it is an invasion of that parent's privacy. Right? And it may start off with things that are completely innocuous, but it becomes easier to have those conversations especially if the parent then finds out that you said that and said, oh, that was so great that you shared that with him. That really resonated with him. Now you've gotten reinforcement from your original client that sharing this information with them is acceptable. And that could lead to divulging information that the parent didn't want them to know. It could lead to creating a situation where the child takes advantage of the parent. If the child decides that they're going to try to steal from the parent or do something illegal, 
that information can be very useful in manipulating the parent, manipulating others around them, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Jeez. Josh, you're like the life of the party, man. You just bring the happiness and the love and the best case scenario. But the reality is this is, this is love because you have to realize that you have this responsibility. It's love for your client. An example that came up for me and let me know if this is good or not, but like if clients really, really wanted to pay off debt and that was like the most important thing for them and they were so adamant about it and so excited about it that you didn't necessarily mention how you know, if they were to pay off their house as fast as possible, like what some of those issues could be from, like if you withhold all sorts of all sorts of potential a, problems, yeah. As yeah. a coach, because you didn't want to, you almost stepped away from your duty to let them know the facts that mm-hmm. they may not have agreed with, but it's important to let them know just all the facts, but still let them choose for themselves, right? They know they could lose some asset protection, or they could be open to more liability if they paid off all of their house, or actually it's going to cost them more in the long run if they paid off their you know, housing debt as fast as possible because they wouldn't be able to take advantage of the tax benefits, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It could be that. It could be your own blind spots, right? A very common thing that is common across not just financial coaches, but just in general is sort of a hate of permanent life insurance life, universal life, or a hate of annuities. And the, the reality is they are very, very useful products. They are oftentimes sold in very predatory ways. They are oftentimes, because they are sold on commission, pushed on people that they are not appropriate for. Uh, same thing with, with reverse mortgages. But that doesn't mean that they're not useful in other areas. And our blindness to the complexities of financial planning. And this is not an attack. This is literally, we have blind spots. We all have blind spots. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> right. Our blindness to the complexities of financial planning may lead us to a superficial analysis, which confirms our pre existing biases, which advises a client to do something that may not be in their best interest. And it's reinforced by the fact that the person, let's say it's an annuity, pushing the annuity is a very aggressive person, uses all the typical predatory sales and manipulative practices and everything else. And so it's just reinforcing the idea that, yeah, see, this is exactly the problem. And yet it just so happens that a broken clock is still right twice a day. And this was the right thing for the client. And, you know, it might be whole life versus term life. It might be not paying down the mortgage. It might be not having that large of an emergency fund. I know that's horrible thing to say, right? Yeah. Sacrilegious. Yeah. But there are all sorts of different scenarios where our biases cause problems. And so now bringing it back to Dave Ramsey. My problem was not with Dave Ramsey from that article. My problem was the responses of the people in that thread. Gotcha. However, my fundamental problem with Dave Ramsey is that it is a all or nothing mentality. This idea that certain things are evil and certain things are good. And the world is far too complex for that. Right? There is no such thing as even a person that is all evil or all good. And 
as a result, it's one of those things where we want to have a much better understanding of even if we don't understand the complexities, we need to understand that those complexities exist so that we can be better about making better decisions. And I will tell you right now, nothing will humble you. Nothing will humble you than pay more than taking a peek behind the curtain of any topic. I One of the reasons why I oftentimes use taxes as an example is because one of the services that I have is I get updates on a weekly basis of the new IRS regulations, the documents, things that are put out, and tax court cases that come out. And it both is incredibly educational for me and expands my knowledge of taxes incredibly. And at the same time, a constant reminder of the humbling of how little I know because something will come out and I'm like, holy crap, I had not even considered those, cons- those things that they were talking about inside that court case. Right. Why scope is so important in your work and knowing mm-hmm. what you know and trying to safeguard against what yep. you think you don't know. Yeah. I don't do all that tax cut stuff because I want to take over my clients' taxes and handle it instead of their CPA. It's because I need taxes are so pervasive. I need to at least have an understanding of, oh, I remember there was that court case about that. I have no idea any of the laws, any of the rules. I don't even remember what the details of the ruling was. But I remember that court case came out four months ago. I need to tell my client, go talk to your CPA because this could have. So I don't even do it to build my expertise. I do it to get me further out of my confidence level. (laughs) Gotcha. Anything else on this? I mean, I know this is something we're trying to help combat with the Financial Coaches Network in launch by building, Mm -hmm. you know, we have the Knowledge Center, which I think at this point has probably close to 20 hours, about 30 videos of personal finance technical knowledge from insurance, which has a warning on it, as some of our topics have warnings on them, to budgeting and cash flow, to just about the general economy overall. Basically anything finance, including things that are completely out of the realm of financial coaches, but you still need to understand it because what we work with, yeah, context. And what I would say is find a way to continually learn. And just from a purely biased perspective, I think that the Knowledge Center is probably a really good tool that every coach should have because of the fact that it does provide you with not only an ability to learn new things on an ongoing basis because we add videos to it every single month, but also because you have the opportunity to search it, right? It's a searchable database. And unlike Google, where you have no idea what you're going to be getting, it is designed specifically to help people with regard to okay, my clients have a question related to buying a home. Here are videos related to buying a home and here are the considerations that may come into play. And of course, you know, once you think you've, I shouldn't say that, once you've watched the videos and feel really confident with them, more will come out that'll just screw everything up. So sorry. (laughs) That's just how we roll. Well, it's how, that's what happens with with the tax thing that I was just talking about and everything else that I do with my continuing education. True. Yeah. Anything else that you want to add before we jump off? No, just any questions that you guys have. Oh, you know what? Here's an idea. If you would be interested 
in us doing a technical knowledge thing every once in a while in the lives, let us know in the comments. Oh, yeah. So if there's a particular topic that you'd like to know more about, rent versus buy, reverse mortgages, just, you know, whole versus term life, perhaps. Remember, Josh teaches the stuff. So we have a great resource here that we can tap into and use. So I love that. Let us know in the comments and tag us just so that, you know, put at Joshua Escalante Troche or at Garrett Philbin so that we get notified of that. That's a great idea. I love it. And thank you everyone for watching, especially if you, you know, whether you caught us live or on the replay and we will be back next week. Not about imposter syndrome. I think we've hit our imposter syndrome limit for 2021, but we'll have another topic here for you. So thank you so much, Josh, as always. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.